Welcome to Murderers and Monsters. Before we begin today, brief warning, contents may be disturbing and language may be explicit and inappropriate for young listeners. So listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, I'm Marie. Hey, hey, it's Shelby. All right, guys. Um, got a couple of different things that I want to touch on today before we actually get started on the case. Um, this week it's Shelby's turn. But before we get on there, um, I want to remind you guys that we did, if, you, if you're not following us on our Facebook group, we did start a Patreon this week. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> so um, I know, right? <laughs> um, and we have our very first Patreon. Patron? Yep, yep. Pa- patron? Patri- okay, it's a Frankenstein patri- clan. <laughs> it's the Frankenstein clan, right. Um, but it's a Patreon for our patrons. But anyway, whatever. So we have our, we have our very first patron. Her name is uh, Bobby. She is actually our um, merch designer. She's the one who we got um, our very first merch from today. We've got the Murderers and Monsters podcast stickers in. I'm and we so are, excited. Oh my god! So uh, I sent <laughs> and she sent it in this really cool package. It was like um, I showed it to you before we got started. It's like a green mermaid kind of. Yeah, uh, it's it's really fucking cool. That's super cool. <clears throat> But with that being said, I wanted to let all of our listeners know that um, as soon as we get our first 10 um, Patreon patrons, patrons, um, we're going to do a giveaway. We're going to do a drawing and a giveaway. So I'm going to put all 10 names into, well, probably nine because Bobby was like, yeah, don't you don't have to send me anything. I have it all. (laughs) Well, fair. (laughs) So um, after we get the first uh, 10 patrons we are going to do a drawing and a giveaway um don't know what we're going to give away yet it might be a cup it might be a t-shirt um you tell us what you might like to have as far as our merchandise um i'm gonna put a little preview of the merchandise on our facebook group so you guys be looking out for that but um what what else we had come through to us today Y'all, it's been a murderers and monsters day. I'm telling you right now. And I've been so <laughs> excited all day. Everything's been like flowing in the right way. So we had our first listener story sent in to us today. It's from our uh, Facebook friend, Caroline. And Caroline has given me permission to use her name. And she's given me permission to read her story that she sent us. So with that being said, here we go. Caroline says, hi there. I'm a follower on Murders and Monsters. I recently started listening to your podcast and wanted to reach out. I was having a craving to listen to some murder stories while at my desk at work. I did a search on Apple Podcasts and y'all showed up. I gave it a try. I heard your Southern accents and knew that this was <laughs> and knew that this was the one for me. Hey, girl, I'm from we a- sound like cornbread around here. <laughs> <laughs> That's our accent. It's accent cornbread. Yes. <laughs> Okay, she says, I'm from Alabama, so I was like, hey, my people, I've been binging while working and sharing all the stories I hear with my friends at the desk next to mine. I do want to say that I love hearing the survivor cases. Hearing that, your advocacy for women being abused and Shelby's own stories, I wanted to share some of mine with you as well, just so you know the impact on me. I'm 32. I'm a married, uh, I'm a single mother with four beautiful babies. I got married when I was 18 to a soldier. We were married for eight years and he was an abusive, manipulative, narcissistic, chauvinistic, misogynistic, alcoholic. I endured mental, emotional, verbal, and physical abuse almost daily. I was horrified to leave. I told no one, I'm sorry, I was told no one would believe me. No one else would want me. I would ruin his career and I would regret it. 
I went many years without even being able to leave the house. He did attempt to kill me more than once. And I was too afraid to speak up, even during the divorce, for fear, for fear of retaliation. I'm sorry. Um, my phone did a crazy thing. I didn't, I didn't mean to stop. Um, and I was too afraid to speak up even during the divorce for fear of retaliation. I was too afraid to speak up about the abuse and hearing these stories you tell are sometimes so triggering because it could have easily been me. Luckily, my kids and I are away safe and happy. It's been a few years and many legal battles, but we're happy and we're healing. I've blocked mm -hmm. a lot out, but I've sought help for my mental health. I have an amazing boyfriend and my life really seems to have come together. I love how you like to call attention to the victims and remind people to pay attention to the red flags and to get yourself out. After what I've gone through, I see the red flags a mile away and I'm a pro at recognizing a narcissist. I love both of y'all. I have no idea if you have time to read this, but if you did, thanks. And we just want to oh, say thanks, okay. Caroline. And we're so, so very happy that you and your pretty babies were able to get away. For sure. And we love you too. Absolutely. We do. Um, she also gave us a case suggestion. Let me get down here to it. Um, she said, y'all should show y'all should totally do an episode on Dorothea Helen Puente. So we are going to put that on our list. Um, I have heard it before, but I'm not real, real familiar with it. So either Shelby or I will look it up and we will yeah. definitely do it in a future case. So thank Absolutely. you so much. Thank you so much, Caroline, for being our very first listener to reach out. <clears throat> so with that being said um shelby any 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 books any listen movies? honey i have not <laughs> <laughs> this week <laughs> this week oh, so actually mm -hmm. <laughs> this is kind of I, I guess i don't know it's it's crazy how things just start to fall into place right right so um i'm in school as we know um, I'm studying to be a forensic psychologist. So right. I'm at, I, I know, I don't want to say I know a lot about psychology, even though I've never taken a class before, but I do know a pretty good bit. I've read several, um, psychological books and everything, you know? Sure. And so I'm taking my first psychology class now and I'm so excited, but in part of our discussion post for this week, they had to say, how does psychology impact your life? And it was crazy because one of my really good friends, she's going through a really, really rough time. Yeah. And we've been friends for gosh, 13, 14 years, really long time. Mm -hmm. And something that I always thought was really cool as far as about me as a person, yeah. what I expect from other people, whenever I'm having a breakdown or whenever I'm feeling low or anything like that, I don't think rationally. Mm -hmm. I think irrationally. And I think a lot of us can agree with that because in that moment, you're focused so much more on your emotion more so than anything else. You're not thinking logically about how to overcome the situation. Right. right. So when she was talking to me, she was like, Oh, I'm just a bad mom. You know, I'm, I'm lashing out at my kid. I'm, you know, not doing good with my husband. I'm, it's all me. It's all me. And I, I don't know where it's coming from. And so I just had to remind her of certain situations where, yeah, she's, got a kid and she's married now she's driving but guess what she didn't come from that yeah she come a long way and sometimes you just have to point that stuff out to people when they're not thinking that way you just have to pull your feelings apart and just remind them that they're human it's it, I mean you're gonna feel that way you're gonna feel guilty as a parent if you don't then 
I mean, you don't really you're care. Doing, then you're not doing it right. Yeah. Right. I haven't been a parent for very long. I'm a step parent and I've never really pictured that for myself, you know, but I wouldn't want things to be any different. Right. But I feel guilty at times because it's like, you know, did I say that the right way? Did I come across the right way? And it, it's, it, it's normal to feel guilty at times. So I guess at times you just have to remind somebody that, hey, look, we all fight our own battles. And we're all you know, just, we're all just out here doing the best we can. Right. Exactly. And so I guess like in that moment, she's just feeling really overwhelmed and everything, you know? And so I just thought that that was really cool how my discussion post related to something that I dealt with earlier on in the day. Like I had to be a therapist to my best friend because it's like, listen, girl, <laughs> I'm not just going to tell you, I, I flat out told her, look, you're not going to like what I have to say, but you have to hear it. Right. And that's, that's the type of friend that I always want to be for other people. That's what I would want from somebody else. So Absolutely. that was really cool. Yeah. But no, I don't have any movie or book recommendations, but Hey, listen, I'm a pretty awesome friend. So. <laughs> <laughs> and look, that counts for a lot. Let me exactly. tell you, there's a lot of but, people out there that need a friend like that. Oh yeah. How's your week going? It's going good. It's going hot, but it's going good. I know, right? It's I mean, ridiculous. every day, uh, every day is a 100 percent full-time it's hot as fuck with a top <laughs> with, with a side of hot with a little sprinkling of hot on top because good lord it's fucking hot outside oh i'm telling uh, you it's it's but, rough out there but it's um thursday you guys won't hear this till sunday but it is thursday where um we are today and tomorrow is friday so whoop whoop on that because thank god it's friday although i have to work saturday morning we are going to the river oh i didn't tell you we bought a boat Oh, yay. Yay. <laughs> yeah, we got Mickey went and bought a boat uh, Monday um, and we are going to the river Saturday afternoon after I get off. We're all supposed we're supposed to meet some of our friends down there about Ooh, one o'clock. So I'm really excited, super excited. Yeah, super excited about that. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah, I think but, we're going to the beach Saturday. But um, okay. which beach are you going to? That I don't know. We haven't decided yet because the one that we were looking at going, I mean, there's four that we've been looking at total yeah but two out of four i guess really have like thunderstorm probability and we all know it rains on the beach every like every time you go out there but it has that thunderstorm prediction so it's like it's probably going to be raining raining i'm okay with like yeah. a little sprinkle i'm not okay with it thunderstorming so yeah we haven't decided <laughs> yet exactly where we're gonna go okay but you know i just <sighs> I was like, can I have like an umbrella or something? This heat, I'm just, I can't, I can't. I, and I can stay out there in the water. I'm fine in the water, but I know I'm going to burn. My forehead is, is just going to be yeah. lobster week, I reckon. I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to wear a hat on, on the, on oh, the river yeah. because I know that there's no way to get away from it on the river. So. No, no. Okay. Um, Just one quick thing before we get into your case. Have you heard, I, had, I sent it to you on Snapchat. I don't know if you had a chance to read it because I just sent it to you right before we started recording. Um, this, no. uh, the new stuff out about John Bonet Ramsey, no, how, how they Ooh. have actually ha now take this with a grain of salt y'all, because we all know people want to, uh, they, everybody wants to admit to a crime to make them famous at some point in their lives, whatever y'all should go on TikTok or no, I'm sorry. Yeah. TikTok or YouTube. I'm not sure. A friend of mine sent it to me today, regardless. And, um, it's about a man who actually, um, confessed to her murder. Um, mm -hmm. he actually lived like 13 houses away from them, you know, this and that. We'll, we'll get into it more 
um, once I have had a chance to really look into it, I'm sure at some point we'll do the John Bonet Ramsey case. Um, yeah, but I really, it's interesting to me just because things are still coming out about it even to this day. Well, isn't so. it crazy how, when things that happen and they always say like, it's, it always hits so close to home or whatever, it's always within just not that far from your home, you know, it, it it's just crazy happens how, that way. Yeah. It's crazy how close it's not some Billy Bob down in just, Timbuktu. Right. They just uh, randomly just, came across your house. Right. Like it's yeah. somebody that's like your neighbor or something mm-hmm. like any story and anything you ever read about stuff like that. And there's always about, it happens to be someone, you know. Yeah. And they're talking about, they were actually looking at him at one point right after her murder had occurred and stuff like that. They looked on his phone. He had like 330 pictures of her on his phone. He had a shrine to her, wow. this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, you have to, like I said, you have to take everything with a grain of salt on whether or not it's true or not. But it was right. interesting. So that is. That we'll is. look into it a little bit more. Maybe we'll talk about it on our on our next episode. But um, yeah, I definitely want you to look into that and just watch yeah. it. I watched it this afternoon. It was pretty interesting. So with that being said, this week it is Shelby's week. And Shell, what you got for us? So today we're going to talk about the Santa Claus murders. And no, I don't mean the man in the jolly red suit. I'm actually talking about Santa Claus, Georgia. Mm. Now, if you're anything like me, I've never heard of Santa Claus, Georgia ever. Like, honestly, I've lived here my entire life and never heard of this town. Me too. And <laughs> it's, it's uh, roughly, I think, 75 miles from Savannah. So but it's actually not a town. It's really just like a little community. Mm-hmm. It's about the population is probably around 300 people. I think in 2020, it was actually like 204. Oh, wow. So it's not, it's not a huge anything, you know? Right. Um, but so let me pull up here. Santa Claus, Georgia was founded in the 1930s by local <laughs> pecan farmer. Thank Calvin you. Farmer Green. All right. So listen, I, I think some of y'all that are on our Facebook group page, um, I put up a poll this week on how you pronounce pecan or if it's pecan. Sorry, I, I sound like cornbread again. So yep. it's pecan to me. Damn right. It's pecan. And I don't care who says it ain't. <laughs> so, I, I, that's why I wanted to add like that. I think it would be, thought it would be a little fun. But anyways, Green had gave the town its catchy name in the hopes of luring tourists traveling from U.S. Highway 1 to his pecan business. So he named the town Santa Claus, mostly just to attract tourists, because if you're Googling things to do in the area or whatever, if you're in Savannah and you see something called Santa Claus, I think any of us would probably want to check it out. Um, So Fun fact, the city was actually carved out of one of Green's pecan groves, which equal to about 60 acres. So he he created this town. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty neat. Um, also, another fun fact, I visited this town. What? Yesterday? Yesterday? Yeah, yeah it was Something yesterday. like that. And all the street signs are decorated to look like a candy cane. Oh, cute. And, and they have different names like Slay Street, um, Dasher Street. Um, uh, there's something drive. Um, but like they're all related to Christmas. And um, that is so cute. Yeah, there I found out that there used to be a Santa Claus that sat like a big inflatable Santa Claus that actually sat on top of the city hall oh, there. Okay. But it's not there anymore. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, but actually whenever I was like pulling into the town, it says, welcome to Santa Claus. And there's like a little Santa Claus just standing right beside it. Thought it was pretty cool. That is neat. Um, I also read in another article that people are attracted to Santa Claus, Georgia, because they like to mail in letters around Christmas, because whenever you mail the letters into Santa Claus and then they mail it out of Santa Claus, it's stamped with a Santa Claus stamp. So that oh, way it's it postmark like- Santa Claus. Yeah, so it makes it look like it it's from yeah. So I thought that was a kind of cute little thing. It is. Um, but I never I've never heard of it before. And I guess maybe because it's such a small little community. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But it was, you know, kind of interesting to see. I would love to see it around Christmas time. (laughs) I bet they do do it do it up. Oh, I'm sure. And the city's catchphrase is known to be the city that loves children. So there's a, um, like a playground out there Mm -hmm. that's posted up out there. The city that loves children. Uh, It's kind of cool. However, back in 1997, that was not necessarily the case as something very gruesome struck this really small community. So even though it's really happy now, it hasn't always been that way. Mm So Kim Daniels. That's who we're going to talk about today. I kind of skipped that part. <laughs> it's okay. Kim Daniels' life hadn't been anything but easy. Her father was murdered when she was three years old. Her mother soon relinquished Kim and her sisters to foster care. Kim had married, married and divorced young. Mm-hmm. She soon thereafter became an addict and an alcoholic, much like her mother had been. Kim had hit rock bottom. Unsure of where her life was going and losing custody of her children, she actually found salvation in Christ at Pentecostal Church in Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon is another town that's probably, I don't know, maybe 20 miles from Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. After a short while, Kim regained custody of her children and met the man of her dreams, Danny Daniels. Kim had a strong desire to create a warm, inviting, and loving home especially considering her childhood. Thankfully, Danny felt the same way as not too long after they had gotten married, they decided to go into fostering children of their own. That's a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had, um, I knew a family a few years back that would foster kids. And I just remember like when they couldn't keep the child for longer than a certain amount of time and yeah. the child had to go back into foster care or maybe got, taken to a different home or whatever the circumstances would be mm-hmm. how they would just break apart yeah. when when that would happen because a lot of times people foster children not just to get them out of that situation but in hopes of possibly adopting that child right. so that that hope and that you know it, it just breaks your heart and to see people that just fall apart whenever that happens I mean it, it would break your own heart you know it would. Yeah, it's, an, it's an attachment, you know. It is, and I I know how I am. Um, I had a really good friend of mine that passed away not too long ago. Um, but he was a fo- him and his wife and their family were um fo- was a were a foster family and they had over thirty mm-hmm. children during oh, wow. his entire life. He passed away. He was in his eighties when he passed away. But him and his wife, um, he worked at the car at the car car dealership where I work, and she was a registered nurse. And like I said, they had fostered over 30 children, um, during their time of doing it. But I, myself, I know me, 
I'm a very, I, I get very attached. Mm-hmm. And although I applaud anybody who can do that, who for can sure. bring children in their, into their home and care for them and then either let them, uh, reconnect with their family or, you know, be adopted by someone else. I, I applaud them for that, but I just, I don't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring a baby. In. I mean, I, I couldn't bring a baby in or a, a child in, get attached to them, take care of them and then watch them leave me. Yeah. You know that, what I mean? that would be hard. I, would. I couldn't imagine. Mm-mm. It is through one of the Daniel's foster children, Joanna Mosley, that the couple mm-hmm. met a gentleman, Jerry Scott Heidler, or as he introduced himself to the fam- family, Scott Taylor. Heidler was actually the product of a very lazy, irresponsible woman named Latrell Heidler Mosley. Latrell was currently on her third marriage with a total of six children, all who at some point in time be removed from her home for neglect. So, mm, yeah. Um, Going back to Joanna, Joanna Mosley, who's 10 years old at the time, she had been sent to live with the Daniels family for six weeks to escape a toxic family environment. Yeah. Her father, along with her stepfather, were alcoholics and multiple child protection workers testified that her mother threatened them with black magic and voodoo. So, yeah, they said that um, that was like a, a it's kind of like a regular, th- not regular, but a uh, a known thing down there around that area. They called it, yeah. um, they didn't call it voodoo. They called it roots, putting roots yeah. on somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When Joanna's brother, 20-year-old Jerry Scott Heidler, come to visit her at the Daniels' home, he began spending a lot of time with her biological teenage daughter, Jessica. Mm -hmm. But considering the amount of neglect, Jerry, I say Jerry, that's his first name, that's Heidler, Mm -hmm. had actually began drinking at the age of 11 and committed his first crime. It is said that this initial crime consisted that of stealing from a local store. So I kind of went back and forth there, but the Daniels didn't actually meet Heidler until he was older when he was around 19 years old. Mm-hmm. That was just a little backstory about him. He, sure. he was a troubled kid. Yeah. He was really troubled from what I had heard. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of um, mental disorders. It was later found out that he had something called BPD, yeah. um, borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get into that. But recognizing the pattern of her own life, noticing the drug abuse and alcohol abuse, Kim Daniels sought to save the adult Jerry from himself. So she noticed all these same patterns that she had once lived through. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, she, considering he had been coming to the house, you know, she noticed all of these things, you know, a, a mother would just obviously you're coming around my children. I'm going to notice certain things, you know, well, that and the fact that she had, she had the background that she had. I mean, it was just Mm -hmm. easier for her to recognize. I mean, like behaviors and and certain things. So being that she had actually been there and done that, um, she welcomed him into the Daniels home, even though he was too old to be an official foster care child at this point. Again, keep in mind, he's around 19 years old at this point. Yeah. We just know that he had had trouble right with crime and alcohol and drug abuse and everything else you know so yeah but she wanted to help him she wanted to be that person she didn't have when she was younger exactly mm-hmm. so she reached Where's out it? to him i'm sorry go mm-hmm. ahead no, no she, I was just gonna, 
I was just going to say she reached out to him because um, after she had been through everything she had been through, she wanted to bring him in and just give him a taste of somebody caring for him for once right. in his life. So, yeah. I mean, no matter how old he was, she wanted to reach out to him and show him that there was a different way. Yeah. And considering the fact that his mother was so absent in his life, I mean, she was there, but not really, you know, she was a drunk. She was doing everything else and didn't really care about any of her children. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Presidents of Santa Claus, Danny and Kim Daniels, or described as a loving and generous couple who were always ready to help others in the community and welcome everyone with a smile. So there were seven kids living with them. There were four kids total of their biological children. Mm-hmm. I, I believe it was two of Kim's and then two of Danny's. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have the three children for that they were fostering, that they were planning to adopt. Yeah. Around four o'clock in the morning on December 4th of 1997, A farmer and his wife were awakened when their dog wouldn't stop barking. Mm. They looked out the window and saw three children walking down the road in their pajamas. They immediately called the police, who arrived shortly after. The children were in shock, but they were coherent. When these children were brought in for questioning, it was shortly after the police found out where they had been kidnapped from and went to investigate the gruesome finding at the Daniels home back in Santa Claus. Mm. these children were found walking along a county road in bacon county and from what i found bacon county is actually alma georgia so it's about 45 miles some somewhere around those lines yeah it wasn't too far from there yeah it was 40 45 miles something like that the children explained to police that they had been kidnapped by a man they knew as scott taylor They further went on to tell police that Scott, or better known as Jerry Scott Heidler, Mm -hmm. had broken into their home in the middle of the night, around 12 or maybe a little after midnight. He shot Danny and Kim Daniels, then their 16-year-old sister, Jessica, and their 8-year-old brother, Bryant. Mm -hmm. Out of the three children that were kidnapped, ranging in ages from 8 to 10 years old, it was said that the oldest daughter was right in front of the other two siblings as Jerry Scott Heidler raped and tortured this girl before they were dumped along on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Now, in some of my research, it said that he took these three children's three children's <laughs> three kids <laughs> and drove them somewhere mm-hmm. miles away from their home in the middle of the boonies is what I read. I don't exactly know where that point was when he committed that act. Mm -hmm. But once he did that, then he drove them to this, this Bacon (laughs) County road. So I don't know how far away he was at the moment that he did that or why he let them go. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know, that's just some of the things that I've read about this were inconclusive as far as finding out the correct information. Some things said one thing, some things said a different thing. Yeah. So Anyways, once police began investigating the horrendous crime scene, they found that there was a cabinet in the bedroom of Danny and Kim Daniels that appeared to be like a gun cabinet Mm -hmm. or where he at least kept a gun. It was a 12-gauge shotgun that Jerry had used on the Daniels family. He had taken the gun from their bedroom, shot Danny from the back of the head. He likely did not know what hit him. 
And it was apparent that Kim was awake when she was shot, according to the coroner. Mm. She was shot in the face, both at point blank range. So at this point, all that I found out was he crawled through a window in the home. Right. And he took the gun from this cabinet out of their bedroom. I, I'm assuming he must have shot Danny first, considering Kim was awake. So he must have shot Danny. And, it and then it woke her up mm-hmm. and she was probably in a state of shock thinking what just happened. Sure. And when the coroner says she must have been awake, I, I don't know how they found that out. I don't know how they determined those things. Mm-hmm. But she probably saw him and was freaking out and he shot her in the face at point blank range. Mm. There are blood trails all throughout the hallway at the Daniels home and it's likely to believe that it has been Jessica Daniels. It seemed that the coroner pointed out that she was shot from behind the head as well. It blew her face almost entirely off to where it was almost unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. When they found eight-year-old Bryant, he was still in his bedroom, laying on his bed, clinging to his teddy bear. Oh, God. What the police were surprised to find, however, was a four-year-old named Gabe and a 10-month-old baby. That were the foster, the other foster children that were trembling in a closet, clinging to one another. They were alive. They hadn't been touched. Thank God. One said it what they were hiding under a table. The other one I saw found that they were hiding in a closet. Mm-hmm. I kind of went with the closet because that made more sense. Right. Um, but anywho, it was not long after that Jerry was under a manhunt. He was later found at his mom's house, hiding underneath her trailer in Alma, Georgia. That's mm-hmm. where they were actually from. Yeah. When police brought Jerry Scott Heiler in for questioning, he did not take long to confess and actually related the killings to being something he thought of when he was dreaming. He, at the moment when he was first originally brought in, he said that he thought he dreamt everything. Mm-hmm. But then later, eventually confessed to the killings. Like he was almost as if he was proud you know yeah and that's just other than how sick the crime scene was it i mean that was just awful awful yeah i mean that had to be like part of his disorder i mean as far as i can deduce um him saying or maybe he's just a fucking liar i don't know but right um i mean that he, he thought it was part of a dream and then later on him saying or or being able to like confess he did to it. it or whatever mm-hmm. yeah it's like i mean okay mm-hmm. now I, I don't mm-hmm. i don't know the name of the disorder right off the top of my head i've read it about it once before was the bi- there, it was the bipolar disorder right well that's what he was originally diagnosed with when he okay, was okay, okay. in his younger years okay, but there okay. is another disorder that says you know whenever you start um perceiving dreams and seeing these things happen and everything, you know, it, it's actually like it's happened or it is happening in that moment, but mm-hmm. you feel as if it's not real. But then you start having these moments of memory that just start to flood on you where then you remember that it actually did happen. And there's some kind of disorder for that. I'm not really sure of the name of it right offhand, okay. but maybe he had that kind of happen to him. I mean, I don't know, yeah. but it was very clear that he was not right in the head. Right. Like that. I mean, he had several other disorders. That was just the only one that they could confirm at the time. Right. And that this he is had the BPD. Right. And this is 
remind me again what time period this was 97 97 okay 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 Mm -hmm. so things were really rudimentary at that time I mean they didn't know a whole lot about the different um the disorders and stuff like that like ADHD bipolar yeah it wasn't a big you know nobody was really focusing on anything like that right right, right. as far as the studies of everything like that goes you know right okay it wasn't as broad as it is now when you really start to look at different anxiety and how there's different levels to OCD and different levels of this and different levels of that. Right. It, it wasn't as explicit back then, you know? Gotcha. 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 Now you're probably wondering exactly what I was wondering at the time when I'm researching all of this mm-hmm. as far as motive. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because right. they were, I mean, were they, I mean, they were good to him. He right? was trying to, they were trying to help him. Right. Right. But remember when I said that he had taken an attraction to Jessica Daniels, Jessica was 16 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. He, he said that he was 19 and then some said that he was 20. So I'm going to say he was somewhere in that range of 19 to 20 years old. So regardless, I mean, we, I mean, I can't really speak on the fact that I didn't date older when I was that age, but I mean, that's a big age gap. That's a big age difference. You know, he's an adult. And she's still a teenager. She's still in high school, you know. So Danny began to notice that the attraction and everything, you know. So he had some words at some point with Jerry Scott Heidler. Well, I mean, over their age difference. Right. Well, I mean, he's looking out for his baby, his child, you know. Right. And I don't think any parents can blame him for that. Right. 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 Absolutely. So. Now, this is kind of where things get tricky because, again, some articles said one thing, some articles said a different thing. I'm just going to say all the theories and I'm going to let our listeners just kind of say what they believe. Sure. So it was said that they, Jerry, uh, Jerry Scott Heidler and Jessica Daniels were in a romantic relationship. They had been dating. Danny and Jerry Scott Heidler had shared some words. He was told not to come back to the home anymore. Mm-hmm. It was a few weeks later. There was a lot of frustration built up and Heidler just kind of went off the handle. Mm-hmm. Okay. But my thing is, it's like he killed Jessica too. That's in a really gruesome thing. way. Right. Yeah, That's my thing. I mean, why would you so, kill the girl that you had some interest in and take three other little children? I don't, I don't care. Right. I don't care. So another theory is that when they had been dating and everything and even though he was told not to go back to the home they had continued dating so mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really know how that worked out back then I don't know what their how their dynamic worked or anything like that how they were able to meet because he lived in Alma this is like 40 miles away right. whatever but anywho she had evidently broke up with him two days before the shooting had occurred was another hmm. theory so hmm. there's there's okay. a stressor And the third and final theory, which I think is the most sick, is another article I read. It said that he had been seeing Jessica, but then he said, or then the article read something around the lines of he had a girlfriend that was actually pregnant who had had a baby two days before the shooting happened that was stillborn. Yeah. So, but I don't know if that meant that that was Jessica or if he had had another girlfriend that wasn't very clear. So there's okay. a few different stressors there. Well, in the podcast that I listened to today on this uh, case, it said that he had had a previous girlfriend. Her name was Maria. They'd actually had a child. 
mm-hmm. um, but they weren't together. Um, and then she got pregnant a second time and he was diagnosed with a congenitive heart failure, a congenitive heart problem that he had had surgery for as a child. And then this second baby that you're talking about had that same problem. And when it was born, um, it lived for like a couple of hours and then died. And so see, it was that, a that stressor. could very well be a stressor that, yeah, you absolutely. Know, yes. You know, and, and I'm not saying that by any means that that's an excuse to go and kill an entire family. I mean, these people were there to help. No. Him. Right. Right. But, right. Right. But because of his personality disorder, that trait, he kind of acted on those intrusive thoughts. And basically, when somebody reacts to those situations, they react mostly in a violent way on somebody who was there to help him. So the thing about this case that really I just could not make sense of, Mm -hmm. and I know that it sounds really brutal and gruesome, but that's kind of the whole point of us being here. Right. You know, we got to look at the mind in the, into the minds of these people. So when the police came to the scene of this home and the perfect, I won't say perfect and nothing's perfect, but you know, the quiet little community of Santa Claus, sure. nobody ever expected to see something bloody and nasty and gruesome as this, right? you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, they saw, I mean, there was so much blood that there, there weren't even footprints, there was so much blood, Good you know, Lord. and there was like, they said brain matter and bone and just everything just sprayed everywhere. And mm. what I just, I, I just couldn't make sense of it was because I can really understand maybe why he flipped out, flipped his lid yeah, on Danny and maybe Jessica, but the other two, Kim and Bryant, Bryant was just a helpless little boy, right? He was asleep. I mean, they all were asleep, but I mean, what, what exactly was it that drove him to do that to those people, kidnap the three children, leave two of them, you know, I I don't know if those two were hiding, but I mean, everybody was in there asleep. That's a 10 month old child. He must've been, or she must've been crying. Yeah. You know, so there's just so many things here that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And you know, or why he let the other three go. They knew exactly what he had done. They knew yeah. exactly he who he they knew was. They, they knew he could. They knew that he knew they could identify him. Right. So was it a sign of remorse after he had just after he had reacted on those intrusive thoughts mm-hmm. and he was like, oh, man, I, I really messed up. Let me try to make this not as bad. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just I will never understand the mind of a killer. And I will never understand what it's like to go that far. But none of that really ever made sense to me. But when I was reading all of this, I just could not help but feel so sorry for this lady who was just trying to help him. After she had let she had welcomed him into their home. And that is how he was comfortable enough to know their sleeping patterns, knew where everything was, knew where the gun was, knew how to find the gun, knew how to get in through the window, where to get in at. I mean, Mm -hmm. and he just attacked everybody at a point blank range with a 12 gauge shotgun. You don't come back from that. No, I mean, you just don't (sighs) No, It is awful. Here's the here's uh i won't say the best part but the part that we always have uh you know so many views about (laughs) well different opinions on i'll say yeah i've been waiting for you to get to this part (laughs) yeah so whenever they found him and interrogated him obviously they had enough evidence to convict him pretty much right away sure so 
once it all came down to it and said and done, they obviously convicted him on four counts of murder, three counts of kidnapping, an account of each of molestation, aggravated child molestation, aggravated sodomy, and burglary. In 1998, he was actually sentenced to death and an additional 110 years in prison. Now, he got death row in 1998. Mm-hmm. How long ago was that? 20, 30, no. 26 years ago? 36. 26 years ago? Wait, 2008. Wait, 98? 25 years ago? Wait. It's been over 20 years. Wait, wait, wait. 98, 2008, 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 25 years ago. Okay. I had to count it on my fingers. Yes, I did. Y'all get off me. He is still on death row. Well, I heard that he had got the death sentence to start with, but then where they were changed they? it to a life sentence? Yeah. What, what, it, it, what state was this here in Georgia? Oh, that's right. Shit. But yeah, so they had um, changed it to where it didn't go to death row anymore, whatever, whatever. Anyway, but yeah, so they put him on death row or they didn't, they changed it from the uh, death penalty to death row. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is that yes. right? I'm saying that right? It he, he, right. He was awaiting his execution date and thank still you, thank currently, you, thank you. It, he still currently is. He's <laughs> because it's after 20 years. It is now turned into a life sentence. Right. But what what I get frustrated about is if you do something so heinous that you get a sentence of death row, why wait? I know that it takes paperwork. I know that it takes time and everything. But twenty five yeah. years, and yes. I'm not saying that it. I'm, I'm I'm not saying go out there and execute this man. I mean, rightfully, I feel like he might deserve it. That's not my call to make. Right. But they automatically when once you're sent once you have a death sentence. Uh, passed on you you have you automatically have appeals which i get it maybe there was something that wasn't done right in your in your case maybe there was and you get those chances to prove that something was done incorrectly or whatever fine i'm fine with that you know do you the 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 lawyers the counselors whatever do what y'all need to do but once that is over and done once your appeals are spent it's time to say bye-bye you yeah. know what I'm saying? Well, I but mean, because, but because, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you again. No, you're but, fine. Go ahead. I, I'm just trying to make sense. Like, he killed four rather innocent people. They didn't Absolutely. do anything but try to help him. Yeah. You know, and he brutally murdered these people. Well, yeah. What I was going to mention earlier, when I visited Santa Claus, I was actually trying to find this house. Yeah, there is no address anywhere, and I think that because of how gruesome this crime scene was, according to all the the reports and everything that I read up on, mm-hmm. I feel like they probably tore the house down. Well, they must have, yeah. because it was the house was evidently like this gorgeous, bigger size house. Uh, obviously, we got seven kids, yeah, wedged in between two catfish ponds. You know, just and then they said that there were like vines hanging up. It was kind of dark. Yeah. So it was like in a little, real secluded little patch of just area. Yeah. So like when the cops got there, no lights were on. It just seemed like everybody was sleeping. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, that's just how it looked. And, and you and no you found traffic the, around there. Right. You found the ponds yesterday, right? I did. Mm-hmm. I did. And, everything and I'll was share just that. Gone. Yeah. I, well, it's a dirt road there now. 
-hmm. and there is a what looks like a little abandoned I want to call it an outhouse but it's bigger than an outhouse I don't know what it would be but it's abandoned because it's it's really worn down I mean the wood's falling apart and you can clearly see that and then there's like a a trailer to the right Mm -hmm. um in front of the other pond so I I'm assuming that back in this time I don't know if that dirt road has always been there I don't know if maybe the house was just where the road is in between the two areas I'm not really sure yeah I'm just gonna go with that because I mean there wasn't much further to go after that but I mean it it just where it was at and then you had this town that the the town that loves children you know it's just then you have that as your background that I mean that's terrifying when yes. I went through this area I just felt and I and it's probably just a me thing because I've been reading up and studying on this case but I just felt flooded with just so much negative energy right. I just felt I don't want to say the pain because I'll never know that pain but you just know I just felt vibes. so I just felt so sorry for those poor people right. you know yeah and it just, it hurts my heart to know that they went through something so gruesome just because somebody made a decision to do something that not only hurt him because mm-hmm. he's, he's ruined his whole life. He was 19 or 20 years old. Yeah. He'll never see the light of day again right. outside of those prison walls. And he shouldn't. No, no. But you threw your whole life away. Why? Because you're mad. You because, know, I just yeah, because of I your past or whatever. Yeah. You get mad at your girlfriend or you get mad at, you know, I I, I couldn't imagine how it would feel to lose a child in that aspect. I oh, really yeah. could. But I I just don't think that I could go and take my intrusiveness on or out on somebody that was trying to help me. Well, that's because you're not a psychopath, baby. Now, granted, <clears throat> I mean, who knows? He might have been fueled up on drugs, too, because he was a drug addict. I mean, who knows uh, that maybe he just didn't feel anything. Maybe he still doesn't. I mean, we'll drugs, never know. Drugs, alcohol, whatever, whatever it may be, you know? Yeah, we'll never know. But that is the horrifying story of the Santa Claus murders. Great job, baby. Thank I mean, you. I hate Thank to say great job on something like that, but you did a great job reporting on it. So well, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, well, I think it, I think it's really interesting to study up on um, things that have happened in, you know, in Georgia. I mean, I've lived in Georgia my whole life. Yeah. And considering that's, you know, I mean, it's it's down the road. It's it's not too far from where we all live. I mean, that's right. in our towns, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I would really like to hear more stories if anybody has anything to share. I mean, because just actually going and having that personal touch and actually just going to a town like that, I just feel like, and maybe every town has a story that we don't know about. Right. Absolutely. It's just like um, back before you and I started doing this podcast together, I did the Wolfwick murders, Mm -hmm. which was um, based in Bibb County, which is about an hour from where we live. Um, But uh, the actual murderer or quote unquote murderer depends on what you believe when when you read when you hear or read the story um his grave is right here in the town that i live in yeah so i mean you just you just never know because i didn't know until that until i started researching that case i had no idea that he was like right here and he was buried right here in this in the town that i live in so yeah 
Um, it's just, it's really, it's, it's a lot. And I do, I want to do more Georgia murders because I think that because we do live in Georgia, I mean, you just never know what happens around here. You never know what right. happens right outside your back door. I mean, you just don't. And um, actually, Tombs County has yeah. was known before as Bloody Tombs. I had heard that. Yeah. Yeah. The the history of Tombs County, and which is not very far from where Santa Claus is at all. I mean, I think from Tombs to Santa Claus, it's only like 15 minutes or so. Right. However, you know, but yeah. I mean, it's like right down the road. So they're like right there on top of each other. But it's, mm -hmm. it was known as Bloody Tombs. And there's a big gory history behind that. Yeah, so I just think stuff like yeah, mm -hmm. it's just something really interesting to hear about in in Georgia, where right. we lived pretty much our whole life. <laughs> Absolutely, we'll have to look into some more Georgia stories because I'm really interested in those as well. Oh yeah, for but, sure. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our case tonight, guys. Um, Shelby did a great job. Um, before we uh, leave, I had mentioned something in our last episode about you know how when people get sentenced to time like we were talking about on our last episode 22 months to 20 years i did do oh, a little, yeah I, I did do a little digging into that and the way that i understand it i ain't no lawyer and i'm just going <laughs> I, as a lay person i'm just going to give y'all a little bit of what i had found out when somebody is sentenced to 22 months to 20 years what it means is they have to serve at least 20 months 22 months 20 months whatever it may, whatever it may be they have to at least serve that time. After that time, they are available for um, release. They come up before the parole board, um, whatever the case may be, and they are eligible for release after the mandated time, the 20 or 22 months. However, that does not mean they will be released. That means they have to serve. They have to put that like minimum a request that, or something in. No, but they automatically come up for oh, okay. um, a parole review or something like that. And oh, what they have God. to do is they have to go, go before the parole board and they have to convince the parole board that they have, uh, that, that they're sorry that, um, you know, whatever you have to say, uh, I, I regret that I did this, blah, 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 whatever. Um, but they have to serve a mandatory of 22 to 20, 20 to 22 months, but mm -hmm. they can be refused all the way up to the 20 year point. Now when the ah. 20 when the 20 year point gets here, they will be released. Ah, you okay. see what I'm saying? Okay. They have, a, they have a minimum they have to serve, but after they serve that minimum, they are eligible to go before the parole board up to the 20 year point to actually try to convince them that they should be released. You see what I'm saying? Right. That's the way you know, that I understand I it. I don't really like that though because I don't like it neither. It, I mean <laughs> If you do something where you get a sentence that is, I mean, that vast, like from 22 months to 20 something years. Right. I mean, it's, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me because obviously you're going to, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to kill all those people or, you know, whatever. I regret like, what I did. Yeah. Of course you do. Because as soon as you're released, I mean, <laughs> there you go. Go do it again. Yeah. You can do whatever the fuck you want to after that. Yeah. You know? I just, I. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. That's not really the field of work that I want to go in. Anyways. Our, our justice system is a fucking joke is well, all I have to say. You know, what I love so much is that um, speaking back on domestic violence really fast, Absolutely. you know, when whenever something happens and I, I get it, I, I know a lot of people that have done the whole like 
uh, cried wolf thing, you know, and some women out there, they will go above and beyond to make it look like somebody beat the absolute crap out of them in order to get some kind of claim or some kind of whatever. But to those that actually have had things happen to them, Mm -hmm. when they start to investigate or whatever, if they even get to that point, nine times out of 10 in small towns, Mm -hmm. they don't care. No, they don't care. They don't care because they're going to look more at like a I don't know, a drug charge, you know, somebody that's got a bunch of pot or somebody has got a bunch of other, you know, cocaine, whatever, you know, just what name it, you know, Mm -hmm. they're going to focus more so on those types of crimes instead of helping other people. And I I get it. I know because listen, the, the gentleman I talked about a couple weeks ago that attacked me and I'm scarred for the rest of my life. He walks free today. Never spent a single night in jail. Right. I that's mean, not that's, fair. It's not fair. Absolutely. But 100% it's not fair. That's but it's all about, system. especially, it's, it, yeah, justice system. I told you, it's a, it's a bunch of bullshit. But, um, and especially in small towns like Santa Claus, what we were talking about tonight, mm-hmm. um, small towns like, all, like the towns that we have all over Georgia. Um, it's uh, the good old boy system. Oh, you know, somebody 100%. that knows somebody, you know, somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. So you're yeah. not going to spend, you're not gonna spend any fucking time in jail. And if you right. do, it's going to be a slap on the wrist and you're going to be right out there doing the fucking same thing that you were doing before. And exactly. I mean, it's bullshit. But 100%. with that being but with that being said, I do want to say one thing about the domestic abuse. If you are suffering from domestic abuse, please tell somebody. Tell somebody in your family, tell somebody who is a friend of yours. Um, please. And or more more than anything else, call the des- domestic abuse violence hotline 1-800-799-7233. 1-800-799-7233. Tell somebody, please get out of it. Please get out of it before your children are hurt, before you're, before you're hurt, before y'all die. Please just do something. Do something for yourself. Do something for your children. Um, because as we study every week and different cases and everything, you never know what somebody, I mean, it may not seem like a really big thing to you. If somebody, if there's a red flag, I mean, call and tell somebody because right. they, you never know when they might fly off the handle. And it's a statistic. It it is a worldwide statistic that a woman and or man, not saying that men cannot be domestically abused, um, it takes them at least up to seven times of leaving and going back, leaving and going back, leaving and going back before they finally break the cycle. So please break the cycle, if not for yourself, for your friends, for your family, for your children, um, and do something for yourself, please. Don't, Don't be another victim. Right. Okay, guys, that's our case for tonight. Um, I think we've done enough preaching, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I hope that it has been interesting to you guys. I hope that we have been able to reach out and just know that we love y'all and we want to really thank you for the support on our podcast and we'll talk to y'all next week. Next week. Monsters do exist. Don't be a victim. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs>